The Psychedologist. Thank you for tuning in to The Psychedologist. This is Consciousness Positive Radio. Today, a riveting and dynamic conversation about love, community, and complexity with the phenomenal Kai Cheng Tom. We hear about her act of prayer in a collapsing world, falling back in love with being human, a book of poems and rituals for connecting with the unlovable in ourselves and others. Kai Cheng shares about her early experiences with being conscious of consciousness, daydreaming, and intentionally projecting self into another world, wondering, is this the real reality? A thread of non-binaristic thinking weaves through this episode. You will hear about what led Kai Cheng to writing her most recent essay, The Village and the Woods, a venture into inquiring about a problem with no name. This essay explores the anatomy of the cycle of social panic, how community, initially a place of refuge, can turn more and more horrifying. The seductive urge to raise ourselves above and maintain that above status, even or especially in social justice communities, the importance of going more slowly and resisting the urge to dive into that swift right-wrong pattern? Can we really tell the story, slowly understand all of the different threads of what happened? What are the extenuating factors? You'll also hear about recognizing that abuse is about power. Kai Cheng offers a meta and a micro example of how we can train our sense perceptions to hold onto multiple truths and multiple threads in a story hopefully gaining a holistic understanding of what's all going on. Holding on to complexity, which can be difficult with activation and trauma, and tending to our own nervous systems and the collective nervous system. This especially involves the responsibility held by the bystanders and the capacity for nuance. That egregious harm is real, that the monster innocent binary doesn't allow us to address different grades of harm, and that we all deserve to be able to say, I am hurt right now, I was let down, and I need community, and be met with support. In the end, we transition back to poetry and being in touch with the wild divine. Kai Cheng reads my favorite poem from the book, and perhaps my favorite poem ever, to Jesus. We muse on the beauty and power of ritual and symbolic action, and on personal relationships with the divine. Kai Cheng Tom, MSW, is a certified somatic sex educator, qualified mediator, clinical hypnotherapist, and certified professional coach based in Tecaronto, Toronto. She is also the author of six award-winning books in various genres, including the recently released poetry and self-help collection Falling Back in Love with Being Human. Kai Cheng's work focuses on the intersection of social justice, pleasure activism, and transformative approaches to healing conflict. A noted speaker and practitioner of somatic wellness, healing, and group process facilitation, Kai Cheng supports individuals and groups who are seeking to repair relationships and make transformative change. She also teaches as adjunct faculty as the, at the Institute for the Study of Somatic Sex Education. Please enjoy this episode. Kai Chang, I can't believe I'm here with you. Thank you so much. Thanks so much for having me, Leah. <laughs> my pleasure. It's an honor, truly. You've been in my head for a long time. I think I first, first my partner said, you've got to listen to this woman, Kai Chang Tom. She's for you. Check this out. She's writing a book. And that was your first book, actually. So. Oh, wow. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I hope we choose ago. love. Oh, my yes. God. <laughs> <laughs> but it was, but it wasn't because it's pandemic time. So it's like, feels kind of. True. Yeah. It's everything's kind of swimmy now with the time. Who knows how long or short anything has been. <laughs> totally. So you, you said in your acknowledgments, um, you know, gratitude for everyone who helped you even believe you could write a second book, not to mention just see it through to this point. So what is it like to be on the other side of your second book coming out, and I hope you have many more, BTW. Oh, yeah. Okay. Well, I'm excited to to do like a tiny correction, which is um, I Hope We Choose Love was my fourth. So there's three others. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. So if you are excited to read yet more by me, um, there are 
there's three adult works and two children's ones that you could check out. Oh, okay. I did know that you'd written some children's works. I'm going to have to clear my schedule for the month, I think, and just like curl up with your stuff. Oh. Yeah. Well, so anyway, um, all this to say, yes, I, um, but the, I, I did think that I was never going to write another book. You were totally right about that. Um, after I Hope We Choose Love, I was sort of working on some things and then COVID arrived, as did a number of personal um, tragedies. And I was like, uh-oh, I'm so sorry. Let me silence that no and worries. say that again. Okay, so uh, yeah, you are totally right. Um, I thought I was never going to write a sixth book um, because I was working on some things after I Hope We Choose Love. The pandemic arrived, as did a number of personal tragedies. And I was like, you know what? Maybe that's enough for me. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. like maybe, uh, you know, it really felt like we were entering like a different phase in the world. And of course, that I think that is true. We, we did. Um, and I didn't know what I had to say. Um, that could be, you know, useful for public consumption. And I also didn't know what I believed. Like, I felt very shattered um, by that time, um, as did most of us. And um, it's just, yeah, I, I was amazed that the sixth book did arrive. Like, it just sort of came from nowhere, you know, like a bolt of lightning. I mean, there were some inciting incidents, um, primarily... Um, that J.K. Rowling released a statement about her views on trans people, <laughs> uh, which was, yeah, very challenging. Um, I was a Harry Potter fan. Not the hardest, like, not the diehard kind, but I was into it. And, yeah, for some reason that unlocked a lot of stuff in me. Um, and here we are with uh, falling back in love with being human. Isn't that the way, right, these adversities and the meeting someone else's misunderstanding or like right not hatred because right you say in it it's not hatred it's fear yeah yeah that 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 can actually it's like the lightning strike that produces fertile soil in some way yes oh what a beautiful metaphor oh my god yes the lightning strike yeah that moment in like the intense you know the the most intense moment of the storm um sometimes is what um allows us to emerge um yeah so i guess that's sort of what happened it's pretty bizarre and delightful (laughs) and unfortunately or fortunately you know the the thrust of the book the aim of the book which is about like connecting with the unlovable in ourselves and in others seems more relevant than ever uh right now um particularly in the context of trans rights because of course um, there in the States where you are and in Canada where I am, um, and, you know, globally to some extent, there is this massive backlash uh, towards gender diversity and, like, I think also to some extent queer rights in general. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and that I definitely want to talk about your recent ebook as well. But first, let me follow the structure and ask, what was your, <laughs> <laughs> what was your relationship to consciousness as a child? Uh, I love this question. Um, I I was one of those weird children, you know. I had in that I had a very um, I had a very conscious awareness of consciousness. Um, as a kid, um, you know, I'm very. I, I was born a Pisces. Um, and also <laughs> had some complex PTSD in you know my my early developmental time. And um, so I spent a lot of time in fantasy worlds. Like I would daydream and very intentionally kind of like project myself into a different world. Um, And so had um, like quite a high level of awareness of my ability to be somewhere else, like in a different state um, or like to project internal phenomena um, into my external awareness. Um, so that was one thing. And probably as a part of that, like beautiful imagining and also, you know, dissociative tendency, um, quite early on also had a lot of thoughts about like, I was like, I wonder if I'm in a book and someone else is reading me, you know, like the Truman Show kind of like consciousness (laughs) wonderings. 
Um, so when people saw The Matrix um, in the 90s uh, and were like, oh my God, you know, me at around eight or nine, I was like, yeah, I mean, of course we might be in a vat somewhere. Like, <laughs> I am aware, you guys. So <laughs> yes, I had uh, I had that kind of funny relationship. Hello. And um, well, what would you say then is your relationship to consciousness now? Oh, you know, I still often wonder if we're in a vat. I think the the shift is that I'm like, oh God, I hope we're in a vat somewhere. <laughs> the world is really better than what it is now. Gosh, I hope the or like I have a lot of I hope the robots come and uh, you know, put us into their AI like paradise <laughs> soon. Like, please. So yeah, pretty much the same. I spend a lot of time in the internal imagining. I think yeah, and that may be a more serious difference. Well, that was pretty serious, but you know, maybe a more practical difference too is like um, I do a lot of um, practicalized. Like I, I do a lot of insight harvesting now, right? Like you know, I was trained as a therapist and still work as a coach, and so I do a lot of thinking about how um, the symbolic quality of that internal world might, in some way, actually be a bridge to to the external world. Mm, yeah yeah i feel that myself i have a psychodynamic therapist and i love working with dreams and actually usually after doing psychedelics i'm not even talking about the psychedelic journeys with her i'm like this is the dream that i had after can you believe this (laughs) (laughs) that's cool that's right yeah yeah it's just such a resource so much revealed there well i'm i'm kind of like I I have to be honest when I thought about if this is really the reality, like what if this is someone's fantasy and this is better than the actual reality? Like, Oh, yeah. 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 It could always go in either way, right? Right. God. There's a a lot of beauty still. I mean, I feel like your work highlights that, like like see the beauty, see the, you know, see the village, not that the village is the beauty, but see the woods and the village equally, like the light Mm. and the dark uh, within ourselves and in others. There isn't, what would you say that you're like sort of a non-binary thinker when it comes to social stuff? Yeah, I I definitely would say that. (laughs) That's the aspiration anyway. Yes. I mean, I'm very good at that in the abstract uh, or like, a little bit mm-hmm. removed, and then in moments, you know, I'm like that person, evil, you know, uh, and then I have to like kind of check myself, or like I'm like I'm evil, and then I have to check. My- That's why I write books because I have to figure out if I'm evil or not. Um, <laughs> you know, it's obviously both or whatever, but yeah, working that out, yeah. And I will say, I was there's 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 the lightning the lightning that hits the ground in that case for me is um, you know. I could, I was on a pathway, I think, to becoming like much more of a binary thinker, at least for, you know, I could have been for a while. Um, in my late teens, early twenties, um, it's very much in like um, a queer anarchist, um, activist kind of um, community, and yeah, I, in many ways, I was actively being trained out of um, like a, a non-binary way of looking at the world which is funny because we were all queer and so we were we we supposedly hated binaries but Mm -hmm. you know we kind of loved them at the same time and uh but you know maybe and this might be a bridge to that essay the village in the woods but yeah i had some bad experiences with um like binaristic thinking inside of community um causing really harmful situations and so i had to (laughs) re-evaluate and now um now I have a lot of suspicion of binaristic ways of seeing the world. And um, it's that painful experience that has propelled what for me has been a very beautiful exploration of the mixedness of human experience and consciousness. Maybe we ride that segue into the essay then. Could you talk a little bit about it? I love that. Yes. Oh my God. Thank you so much for reading that. I so appreciate this. Um, so I just released an ebook that is a long essay, like it's a very long essay, um, called The Village in the Woods. Um, and I'm so relieved to finally have this piece out in the world. First, because, you know, I wanted to write more 
free ebooks. That's just like a, a fun thing that I've started getting into. But also um, for about, I would say for about eight years now, I've been carrying this inquiry into like a problem whose name I did not know. Um, and uh, I have now, you know, been able to understand that problem to be in many ways related to social panic, in some ways related to sex panic, and also to like a binaristic way of looking at good and evil inside of community dynamics. And this problem with no name that gets explored in The Village in the Woods is um, the, the sort of strange collective pattern where in right-wing communities or in left-wing communities or in centrist communities, wherever you have like an enclosed community of some kind, um, we'll start to experience this thing where, um, you know, the community starts off being beautiful and like a place of refuge and then slowly turns more and more and more horrifying where we're like, oh my God, the people we thought were good are actually horrible. And the people we thought were our friends are actually, you know, our secret enemies or, you know, secret abusers in some way. And usually the most extreme form of that is, you know, in some way we are finding out that people among us uh, have been sexually or intimately abusive, right? Um, and then there's also this weird twist that happens where um, sometimes it seems like some of the people who are being accused are actually the people who are being harmed and vice versa, right? It's, we start to get into this very horrifying loop where we can't tell who is the abuser, who's the abused, who's the monster, and who's the victim, right? Um, and I really saw this in queer communities during the height of the Me Too movement, also in straight communities during the height of the Me Too movement, where you started to have this very strange thing happen where um, people started to accuse one another and the believe survivors politic that has been so much a central part of feminism for the past 70 years um, became unusable because everybody started to claim the survival role and everybody also you know, started to project the, um, the perpetrator role onto others right? and became impossible to tell who was telling the truth. Um, very mind-bending, right? And so this essay, The Village in the Woods, uses the metaphor of a village and the woods and monsters um, to like kind of explore this dynamic, right? Like the idea that inside a village, we have the enclosed um, kind of idea of the known, like the parts that are of consciousness um, and collective consciousness and experience that are familiar, the politics we know, the rhetoric we know, um, the truths that we have been told and that we need to hang on to. Um, and we, we create this metaphorical village inside of ourselves and between us in order to defend ourselves from the corruption of, you know, the apparent monster who is like the evil lurking on the edges of society, the corrupter, the tempter, the abuser. Um, and then, you know, we kind of get into this groove where in the village we, we want the fires to burn brighter and brighter. We check the village, right, for adherence to rules and to cleanliness and that sort of thing, purity. And the more we check, somehow, the more monsters seem to appear. And so we we do this frenzied thing where we're searching for monsters and driving them away. Um, and then we increase our surveillance and our standards of uh, purification higher and higher and higher. Um, and our tolerance for, you know, deviation becomes lower and lower and lower. Um, and we, we think this is going to keep us safe, right? And, and I, I see this everywhere. I think the, the spark for this that really allowed the essay to come forth was that um, I was noticing around 2020 to now that there has become a trend in um, queer communities that I am a part of to be hypervigilant for, you know, sexual deviance, right? Like, um, like an extreme kind of rejection of previous queer norms of embracing the kinky, you know, embracing, um, you know, open forms of sexuality and, you know, more and more hostility toward that. Um, with, like, some good reasons also. There is a lot of sexual harm that happens in queer communities, but I was noticing that the same terminology, like the terminology of groomer, the terminology of, you know, sus, suspect, suspicion, was, um, has become a massive rallying point um, on the right as well, or, you know, from transphobic movements that are now uh, gaining a lot of ascendancy in today's culture. And I was like, why is there this mirror happening? Oh, it's because um, it happens everywhere. And you see the same discourse of, like, there's the um, good innocent village and then the dangerous monster in the shadowy woods. You see it about migrants as well. And 
the language that very quickly demonizes, say, Muslim men and migrants today as sexual predators, which of course is a racist um, stereotype. We see it in the historic past, you know, um, stereotypes about black men um, as well, about gay men. Like, so, you know, we, we see so many kinds of examples of this through history, and it usually emerges in the form of social panic. So this is, you know, kind of the essay is exploring the anatomy of that cycle and also offers some suggestions about how to respond in, in, a, more, um, in a more integrative way. Uh, uh. Yeah. Wow. I, I appreciate that so much. And um, yeah, I felt, felt heartened from reading it because I too, um, yeah, I'm a non-binaristic thinker mm. and, uh, <laughs> yep. and I feel I was in the um, social panic camp or just in a social panic cycle some years ago. Um, and what it actually took me to get out of that was to see the ways that I myself was harmful mm. and to step back from community a little bit <clears throat> and work on like more like micro accountability in my close personal relationships and get some more practice with, you know, be both supporting people to be accountable who I had true trust and intimacy with rather than some community member that's kind of distant or I've never even met in person. And I'm like trying to make them be accountable and it just like was not working. Mm. Um, so yeah, I so sort of sort of had a, a sabbatical from community accountability and worked on my own. And so I, what I loved about the book was the ebook was I think that it's important. It's been important for me. I'll speak in I statements to see myself as not bad. Like I have to see myself as not bad if I'm going to be accountable for like ways that I have caused harm or just fallen short of the values that I hold. Um, so that seeing myself that way allows for that accountability. And I, I think this story could be used in that way for others. Though also, you know, what would you say to this concern that someone could take that and be like, see, like, I'm not a monster, like, but just avoid accountability altogether. Oh, yeah. I mean, this is always the concern with like non-binaristic thinking around harm, right? And and we see it all the time as people will say, oh, yes, well, um, we all cause harm. So what if we just forgot? <laughs> right. <laughs> what if we moved on? Or, you know, or 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 even worse, we all cause harm, and so in some way, the person that I have perpetrated, you know, grievous, you know, abuse upon, has also harmed me. Right. Like, and yeah. there's a false equivalency there. Um, and I I would say, um, you know, as we were, you know, you had sent me like an email about like, you know, can I ask this question? And I was like, yeah, ask it. And you were like, is the answer TJ? And yeah, in some ways, the answer is transformative justice or restorative justice. But I think even before we get to that kind of a process, it's so important to to think about this. The story of the village in the woods is, you know, once upon a time, there were some villagers um, or some monsters, and they tried to, you know, deal with one another um, by um, building houses in the woods and like creating these purifying flames that would drive the monsters away. Except, you know, that isn't quite what happened. The monsters kept on appearing. And um, it's that frenzy that I kind of want to talk about. But, you know, I think when we, we do a, a non-binaristic story about monsters and, and, and humans, there can be a bit of a, a pendulum tendency to be like, oh, yeah, you know, actually the monsters are innocent and the villages are good. That's not quite what the story is about, right? This is not also what, like, Mary Shelley's Frankenstein was about, Um it is about actually all of us are the monster, um, and you know there's a twist there in the essay at some point where we learn that in in this you know made up fairy tale that all of the villagers began as like a group of monsters, right? That there was once a group of monsters that said, "Well, we'll become human um, by making ourselves better than the other ones," and you know it's that's the cycle is that you know inside of a real life community, say the queer community. We, or an evangelical Christian community, which you know, I've been a part of too, there can be this a little bit of a dynamic where we say, oh, we're the good community. And we raise ourselves above, you know, those horrible, harmful other people. Um, and to maintain our above standing, right? Like we, we're always checking one another and it's easy to fall. Um, and what can happen then is, you know, uh, we, someone can cause real harm, grievous harm even, and try to hold on to that tactic of maintaining goodness by saying, 
actually, I'm the good one and you're bad. I'm the non-binaristic thinker and you're all just, you know, and suddenly we have a binary, non-binaristic thinker, right? Like, so um, the, the trick, I think, is for all of us to try to be going more slowly and resisting the urge to go into like um, that kind of swift kind of frenzied pattern of this is right, this is wrong, I'm good, you're bad. And more like, but what actually happened, right? Like to really tell the story, like what, you know, and, and what um, are the like extenuating factors that make this, um, you know, an abuse? And abuse is a misuse of power, right? Like so much we want to look at, you know, who was vulnerable, who was not. Um, I'll give two examples. And one is a kind of a big scale and the other is a little one. So on the big scale, um, you know, uh, you, you have um, colonizing countries, uh, you know, who, who, who colonize, you know, indigenous community com- populations, and the indigenous populations will sometimes resist, right? We'll do um, kind of like, a, um, you know, pushback, guerrilla, you know, fighting, and the colonizing force will say, oh, look, uh, they're monsters because they are doing this violence. Um, or, or they'll say in a more equivocal way, well, aren't we all, you know, in a conflict? Um, and really what is happening is, is there's a bigger colonizing force and a smaller group community of indigenous peoples is defending its, uh, you know, human rights. And, um, you know, that's that slow down and the zoom out is like to really look. And it, it requires us to be able to, um, use our common sense and like to, um, train our sense perceptions not to get lost in um the surge that is like listening to one person's story actually we have to be holding on to multiple threads um at multiple times and you know the metaphor here is that we're not going into the woods and getting lost for the sake of getting lost and we're not staying in the village for the sake of you know staying safe forever we have to travel in this path in and out of the village and the woods so that we are really getting an integrative or holistic understanding of what's going on on a, on a smaller scale, you know, I, I like to think a lot about this one experience that I had, um, you know, where um, I had some unsatisfactory sex. You know, it was a like really not good time for me. And it really also wasn't a good time for the other person. Um, and, you know, we could have, either one of us could have been like, you've abused me, right? Or either one of us could have been like, well, you know, let's let it go. But, you know, I, I couldn't let it go. It was like a harmful thing that happened. And, and you know what, uh, without going into too many details, what, what I can say is like, as we kind of moved through it together, this person and I did some looking at like, okay, but like, what made this such a bad experience? And in many ways, it was that in this case, you know, I was um, like the person with like in a, a position of a lot lesser power, right? Like, um, and um, there were a lot of um, boundaries that got crossed because of the person not being an intentional boundary crosser, but because they were careless and not checking, right? Not thinking about what their responsibilities were in that situation as a person of, you know, much higher standing in, in that social kind of context. Um, and so, you know, we, we, were, we were able to work it out, but the only way that we were able to work it out was to really pick that apart, right? Like, oh, we both had a bad time, but like what was driving that? And like what who who held more responsibility in that situation? Um, and certainly, you know, there have been situations where I am the person who actually has more responsibility and I've let that fall down, right? Or I've kind of like missed something. Um and you can hear in the way that I'm talking about this too, right? Like it requires like um a resisting the panic of like, I'm all good and you're all bad. And you know, any any sex that isn't good is a sexual assault, right? Like actually we get to we need um to bring like a different kind of light into that kind of um into into the into the shadows of that kind of experience right yeah i'm thinking about holding complexity and you know the challenges to that when i'm triggered or you know trauma brain is binaristic and panicked and um how yeah, nuance becomes more difficult to hold when, like, my window of tolerance and outside of my window of tolerance, or yeah, yeah. You know, if I am in like some acute trauma. Um, so, on a collective level, that I mean, the work of let's see, if multiple things coming up for me here: the work of um, tending to our nervous system, mm-hmm. like our individual ones, and the collective nervous system is important for um, 
holding complexity because there is a lot of complexity to community and harm. Um, and then, like you said, slowing way down. This yeah. is the only way to, to parse this out. Humility, like, mm-hmm. yeah, listening and not, not letting yesterday someone told me about a harm they experienced in a psychedelic ceremony and how it was such a beautiful ceremony. Everything else besides that was beautiful, which mm. made it so hard yeah. to be like, and that part, like that part was not okay. Yeah. And then even the group had trouble recognizing like, yeah, that part was not okay. But slowly, one by one, they did. And um, yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. That that slow down and like the ability to hold multiple truths is so key. Mm. And I mean, you know, a couple pieces I feel really important to 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 say now that you're reminding me of them are like, yes, that it is the collective nervous system that it has the capacity to hold all this stuff. It's almost it's really, I think, unfair to ask individuals to hold it all by themselves, especially if you have experienced a harm. Like it's a lot to be like, could you slow down and let you know, like actually, you know, um, it's so much the people around us, you know, like, so that whenever we are in our own individual moments of having been traumatized or harmed or, you know, abused even, you know, it's not up to us to be gracious and expansive all by ourselves that, you know, we get to be um, you know, reactive. We get to be crazy, right? Like when we have experienced something very serious, um, and you know, it's it's. Then this was kind of the main point of I hope we choose love too is that it is the third parties, the bystanders that in in a community who really hold that responsibility. Um, and and you know, then the the other thing I'll say is, um, oh no, it was so important, and then I've lost it. What was it? It was something about, um, yes, okay. Um, the other thing is about nuance is that, um. The monster victim or monster innocent kind of binary doesn't allow us to acknowledge harm that isn't grievous, right? Or like doesn't allow us to acknowledge more than one kind of harm. And when I'm thinking about this example I gave of, you know, myself and this other person having, you know, harmful sex that I don't cl- classify as sexual assault, but certainly classify as, you know, bad, like problematic, um, uh, you know, I, I, it, I'm, I'm glad that I did actually, I was able to hold on to my um, kind of nervous system, you know, management because um, when I would tell the story to friends, as I was figuring it all out, some friends would be like, wow, we should, you know, hold this guy accountable and do it, you know, do a call out. I was like, no, I really don't. That's not obviously, you know, me. I, I'm not a person who does that. I'm really committed um, to kind of working in some other ways. And I was, uh, you know, I landed on this was a really harmful experience. It was, you know, sexual harm for me. And, you know, I think each survivor of an experience gets to define their own experience. But for me, I don't define what happened as the sexual violence. And it was so helpful for me to be able to be like, I was harmed, but I didn't experience violence. You know, I was let down. I was disappointed. I was failed. That person didn't assault me. And, um, it's interesting to notice how if people say, I have been hurt, my feelings have been hurt, I was disappointed, I was let down, sometimes they are not listened to. Um, it's not taken as seriously um, as the word assault, violence, violation. And so it creates this escalating thing where um, we have to think in the extreme terms in order to receive any kind of support. And to me, I'm like, uh, you know, the realm of what can happen in sex or psychedelics, the realm of all the many experiences, it contains many, many kinds of dangers and risks. And we deserve to be able to say, um, I'm not really sure what happened or who was right or who was wrong, but I am very hurt right now and I need community, right? And and I wish that we had more of, um, more structure um, around that kind of a thing. Uh-huh. Beautiful, beautiful. Yeah. Wow, I hadn't thought about that. All of this is, yeah, let's stretch. No, I'm stretching. Stretch it's a big convo. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just remembering what you said in the beginning of um, falling back in love with being human about um, poetry as your hotline to the universe. Oh, yeah. 
and also thinking about um well this the the there are a few i could see so i i read the village and the woods after listening to falling back in love which everyone should download the audiobook um because kai <laughs> chang you. reads it and it's just oh you got to hear it in her voice um but yeah the the there are a few poems in there that had theme of the village in the woods right the good word of social justice yeah and or the church of social justice yeah and the good word and mm. um i just love the the last line of that upon whose bones do you intend to build your paradise yeah. hmm. thanks for for pulling that line out. i that poem is so fascinating to me like um you know, I have been done so much talking and thinking about social justice and its, you know, parallels to the church. And I'm not the only one. Lots of people have done that now, right? Um, like, um, but I, so I, during the book launch of Falling Back in Love with Being Human, that was one of the pieces I read. Um, and we were about midway through um, the event and I read that piece to the Church of Social Justice and the audience exploded. Like they were screaming. People did a standing ovation, um, and I was like, oh, <laughs> that moment when you stumble onto something in the collective unconscious that has been waiting. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, yeah, there's clearly a lot of us who, you know, we're looking for a better world in our activism and might have found one, but, you know, also found repression. Um, and that's sad to me. But also, what a relief that we can finally talk about it, hey? Mm-hmm. <laughs> totally. Yeah. I also appreciated you, the way you spoke to the trans-exclusionary radical feminists. And uh, yeah, I was a Harry Potter fan as well. Like, really okay. loved yeah. Harry Potter. Yeah. And um, I can't. I can't get down with it anymore. Just like a Nako and medicine for the people. You know, I used to really enjoy that music and I know, or yeah, I don't know the reality of the situation, but as was um, reported, you know, he was inappropriate with some younger fans. And so I, there's, and you talk about grief as well, like that um, grief tears us away from our faith, but also grief is what brings us back. So um yeah anyway it's been it's hard it's hard for the people i once like held in high esteem to be really shitty and then now i can't like your stuff i think that's a loss uh but i just like the way that you you know it was definitely with love fierce compassion and love that you addressed jk rowling and all the other turfs thanks for saying that yeah that that's a big thread at the core of the book is like talking to turfs and to jk rowling it's i mean it's just such a tragedy i think about um trans exclusionary radical feminists right and i'm like oh so close <laughs> like i too am a feminist you know <laughs> like it really got so close uh you know and and with jk rowling obviously i mean she's been a at least you know in, in some ways very progressive person for such a long time in, in fact i was i remember being so impressed as a teenager and a young adult, by her public stances on things like, um, you know, about social welfare and and that and that sort of thing, um, yeah, and it it is just such a tragedy. So there is so much grief there about um, what could have been, you know, or or what used to be. I don't know. Maybe if she reads, I just I, I after I heard that poem, I was like, if she read this, like, how could she not? invite you for a drink or something <laughs> well unfortunately i doubt she'll ever hear it if anyone here has a connect to jk just please just forward her that one <laughs> well and unfortunately too you know she has jk Rowling likes to make um she likes to i i think she she's she's done some engagement she somehow inured herself to the empathetic argument, right? Like, um, even in that original statement she made, she talks about feeling empathy for murdered trans women. And she's like, I really, she says she really understands, you know? Um, and then, of course, then she says all her other stuff. You know? <laughs> so, some, there's some mechanism in there. And I think it's fear, right? Like, there is, she um, has put a wall between herself and, 
you know, the the loving outreach of, um, you know, former fans. Um, yeah, but I have hope, you know, like, um, if not, if not my little book, maybe someday, you know, like maybe J.K. Rowling's grandchild or something uh-huh. will be trans and that would be suck for them, honestly. So I don't know if I should wish that, but 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 maybe that would change her. I don't I don't know. It, it usually takes someone very close to you, right? To kind of open that kind of um closed thinking. So yeah, right. we'll see. Yeah. Yeah. So as I said in my email to you, um, To Jesus was probably, it's just probably my favorite poem I've ever read in my life, and you're gracious enough to read it, so. I would love to read that poem. <laughs> should, I just, should I just jump in? Yeah, unless there's anything you want to say before. Oh, oh yeah, right, yeah, right, preamble. Uh, let's see. Well, you know, um, so j- just that I uh, was raised Christian, as I keep mentioning, and I think that this book was actually an opportunity to come out as like, uh, that's why I keep on saying it over and over. You know, I was raised Christian and um, I still have a lot of like Christianity in me. Like I, I don't, I don't practice, but I, um... so, okay. Uh, I discovered that I was queer when I was very little because my, um, my babysitter had uh, like this um, abridged Bible. And there was like a very, very uh, close up drawing of Jesus um, on the cross, but they didn't show like the gory parts of that because it was a children's abridged Bible. So it was just shirtless Jesus in a loincloth. And I <laughs> felt feelings. I had erotic feelings about shirtless Jesus. And I was like, hmm. <laughs> and this, you know, this, this is you know, the story of my life, right? So, so I've had a crush on Jesus for a really long time. And this was my opportunity to, um, to come out about that. So this is a letter to Jesus Christ. I've been rekindling an affair with my old boyfriend, Jesus Christ. We've grown apart and back together and apart again over the years, but it's sweet and it's familiar. And right now, it's exactly what I need. He's not the sharpest knife in the drawer, that Jesus. He could have made smarter investments than the spiritual redemption of all humankind, but he's an idealist, which I like. He's a deep thinker and just a tiny bit self-involved. He's got daddy issues, which, to be honest, I also like. He's got a nice face and a hairy chest and moves with gangly, long-limbed grace. He's a bit of a yoga bro, a brochialist, too. Always quoting Karl Marx like socialism was invented yesterday. He's a soft boy, my Jesus. A fixer-upper for sure, but he's got good bones. He likes to smoke weed and mansplain to me how sex workers are actually a lot like therapists without the job security or the respect, how capitalism is an unsustainable socioeconomic framework that can only lead to societal collapse over time, how the prison industrial complex is a racist construct that doesn't really bring about safety or justice. Sometimes I roll my eyes at him and say, tell me something I don't know. Sometimes I just jump on those good bones, tackle him to the ground, and we roll around laughing. The sex is good. Jesus likes getting pegged. He looks younger in the midst of pleasure, and sometimes after sex, he cries. And I don't know if he's just happy to reconnect or sad, because we both know that things will never work out between us long term. I really wanted them to. I wanted to curl up in those long arms and long legs, to recline into Jesus' sweet fuzzy chest and bask in that dopey, gentle affection for all of linear time. I wanted to be saved, but I'm not that kind of girl. There's something sharp inside me that even the Son of God can't smooth out, and it hurts because I once wanted so much to be the kind of girl who was worthy of salvation, who could just let herself be saved. Sometimes I'm the one who cries afterward, and he just holds me, my Jesus, and strokes my hair with his carpenter's hands that still bear scars where they nailed him to the cross, and I say, tell me something I don't know. And he says, Grace is the divine light that all beings are worthy to receive, even in light of all we've done wrong. And what about the little ritual? I, li- I really uh, like this. <laughs> yes, that's a good point. Um, so after every letter, there's a ritual, um, a suggestion, you know, invitation. And, and the invitation is um, write a letter of forgiveness to someone that someone can be yourself. Hmm. <laughs> wow. 
Well, thanks for inviting that. I hadn't gone back to that letter in a couple couple months. Like, oh yeah, I like that one. <laughs> it has so much, and just like the the way that it's just nice to hear someone kind of dishing about their relationship <laughs> with Jesus. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, you know. When I was, um, you know, I, I went through a few evangelical phases and I, I went with this one friend to their church when I was a teenager. And it was one of those hippie churches where people are all barefoot, you know, and like kind of mm-hmm. doing the dancing. And um, yeah, everyone talked about Jesus like he was right there, like, you know. Um, and of course, they didn't dish because um, they couldn't, but we, we they, it was almost there, you know, the closeness of that relationship. And I was like, oh. There's something so nice about that, you know. Also, there was a deeply homophobic community, and I would not recommend people to go there, but it was, there was a loveliness somewhere inside it. Well, and, you know, I, that's, so I kind of wondered, like, how are you so sure it wouldn't work out with you and Jesus? You know, there are all kinds of non-monogamous of orientations. Yeah, that's true. Like, <laughs> like, he'll always be there, you know. You don't have to be saved, so to speak, or, like, maybe salvation is something other than what we conceive of it to be. This is true. Yeah, maybe I need to maybe I need to go back to Jesus and have one of those like relationship convos. I you know, I don't know. I you know, in the piece, I think there's this line, you know, that line, I I I know it won't work out and I that has to do, I think, with you know, my own personal heartbreak around um Jesus Christ. You know, before even I was heartbroken by social justice community, I was heartbroken um, by by Christian community, um, and you know maybe that's like a me thing. You know, there's a because of course I have also encountered many queer and queer friendly Christian communities. Um, but um, yeah, I don't know. There may be more to this story. Is what I have said. It's complicated. Yeah, right. It's definitely complicated. And I love the, well, and I just, as you know, like psychedelics is kind of part of my, well, maybe, I mean, you know, because I mentioned psychedelics a lot, but it's, I guess my spirituality or sacrament or whatever is like related to the entheogenic experience. And Mm -hmm. I mean, I consider myself to have a personal relationship with certain psychedelic medicines that that I don't need community for. Like, I I enjoy community, but it's just my personal relationship. And, you know, no one need be part of that if I don't want them to be. It's it's true, and I mean, I have this thing with Jesus. I clearly right, like where um, I used to dream about Jesus when I was probably because of that shirtless drawing. But um, who would re- <laughs> you know? He was but He's hot. Uh, <laughs> this is why Chris, Christian churches need if they they need to recruit, they should really do lean more into the sexy aspect of Jesus. But um, you know, I um, I recently woke up from a dream about Jesus, um, and in this dream, speaking of dreams. We were in a museum, and we were running through this museum, and you know, kind of running too fast for running in a museum. Uh, but all the workers in the museum were like, "It's okay because it's Jesus." And there was this like plate of snacks they made, and then we took a bubble bath in the basement of the museum. And I woke up from this dream. Um, actually, like there was a panic that happened, and I woke up from this dream in a panic, and um, I was bleeding from both of my palms. And in my sleep, what I had done was like I had done, I you know dug my nails into into the opposite each of the opposite hands, and I had opened the stigmata on my palms. <laughs> Whoa! Yeah, I know. Take that to the therapist. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but I remember like then going through the day with these little stigmatas on my hands and being like, okay, Kai Chang, like um, even though I am not a Christian clearly Jesus and me are not done, right? Like, mm-hmm. there is clearly, there's still a personal relationship here, um, which is kind of nice to think about. <laughs> yeah, wow. Yeah, we all have the the village and the woods in us and also the Jesus and the crucifier, Yeah, I'm thinking. <laughs> yes, that too, right? Isn't that terrifying and beautiful? You know, it's, yeah, anyway personal relationships yes exactly and the thank you for the invitation since it was the audiobook i don't know how you like 
subheaded them in the book, um, but the, the, the rituals or whatever after each poem were were so awesome and just like this. Like, even I haven't done any of them yet, but like just, I like the experiential and how much more intimate it makes the content of just the whole work. So I look forward to trying some of those out. Uh, I don't know yeah. if there's anything you want to say about that. Oh yeah, let me know how it goes. Uh, you know, <laughs> um, those rituals. Um, are such an important part of the book and they're structured in a way, of course, to connect with the pieces that they follow, but also like to take the person, you know, on an arc if you did them right or, or think about doing them, you know, they, they sort of are an arc on their own. And, you know, um, they are a whole separate process, you know, for me where when I was 22, um, I was very much in touch with like the internal wild divine. like. <laughs> You know, and also like quite crazy in my early 20s. And for some reason, I was like, I've never done ritual. I have to take myself through a ritual process. And so I did all these rituals alone. And many of them, you know, are in the book now, like um, in slightly evolved formats to be a little bit less dangerous than the ones I was doing. But um, yeah, there's something really important about symbolic. Um, and um, the book, I really hoped that the book could be deeply personal, that people would write in the margins or like draw or scribble or, you know, cross out things they don't like and stuff. And and so, yeah, I invite people to make the experience there. Well, thank you so, so very much for this time. Um, would you like to share about where people can find you and read more of your work and see you and hear you? Oh, sure. Thanks. Yeah. Uh, so people can find me um, on my website. I have two websites. Um, KaiChengTom.com is for the writing and then ariseembodiment.org um, is where people can find um, more of my like con consulting facilitation work and also my free ebooks, um, including The Village in the Woods. Um, and, um, and then I'm on Instagram. I'm also on X or Twitter, but who knows how long that'll be around. So, <laughs> you know, people use at your own discretion is, is what I'm saying. Thank you. Thank you so very much. Yeah. I appreciate you. Thanks, Leah. I was so delighted in this conversation and getting to be here. I appreciate you too. The Psychologist is Consciousness Positive Radio. Find us everywhere podcasts are hosted. For more information, visit us on Facebook or online at thepsychologist.com. Thank you.